Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek. I'm a coach for Top Step Training. And with me today, I have Marilyn. Tell us about yourself, Marilyn. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. You can find everything about me at mcc.coach. And happy to be here to have a fun hour of chatting with you. When you say like everything about you, how much is this like seriously everything? Can we find everything there is to know about Marilyn there? Well, maybe not like everything, like the facts right. that I like to color. <laughs> there we I go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We yeah. also have Elliot. Hey, I'm recording from Marilyn's office uh, and I'm finding a few things out like where I believe her father went to school. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, Elliot Bastet at Mountain Endurance. Uh, Mountain Endurance is my company name. Uh, mtnendurance.com is where you can find me. And I am also looking forward to a, a chat, but I was going to start, Jesse. Um, it's now been eight days removed, but you raced Ironman Texas. Uh, our good buddy, my my former college roommate and athlete and your old roommate as well, Ben Hoffman, won the race. You were in the thick of it and um, were pretty darn close to Ben for at least half of the race. Um, so what went down in your perspective around the race as a whole, but also like from like how you raced, um, as a pro, I totally forgot you, you finished 11th, mm, 14th or something. 15th. Okay. Well, you were in 11th for a real, real long time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, give us, give us the scoop, what you learned, et cetera. Um, it was like one of those classic cases of the race was really good until it wasn't. You know, like, like every story of the Boston marathon, I was great. I was ahead of pace until I was no longer. And, and yeah, that's, that's basically the short version. Um, I, you know, I would say this race course, isn't my, my dream course being that I'm, you know, five, six and on in my bulking phase, 64 kilograms puts me at not a whole lot of raw power and given the nature of this bike course, it's kind of like a power, power man's course. There is a few overpasses, but that's about as hilly as it gets. Um, so I kind of was preparing accordingly. I was preparing for the race to be pretty dynamic. I did a lot of threshold work in the pool to be ready to handle a hard start. And then I did a lot of group riding. I mean, I always do some group riding, but I feel like I kind of increased the group riding I did in order to be ready for some kind of surgy group riding tactics once we got on the highway there. Um, and, and that's basically exactly what happened we, for the start, they kind of pinned us in between two buoys, which were insanely close together. So there was, I don't know how many guys were there, like 50 on the starting line. And we had like 10 yards. We were, we were, we were glommed into, and of course, everyone wants to be on the first, the, the front of the line. So before the race even started, I was getting like elbowed and pushed and shoved. And then once the gun went off, it was just more of that. It was a huge, oh yeah. I mean, I elbows out, but it was a huge dunk fest. Like these just like giant German men, just like holding me underwater. There's like nothing I could do. Um, actually, I actually some, heard some that from someone that. else. Yeah. I heard that from someone else in the race that it was like one of the most aggressive swim starts they had ever been in. And actually for this athlete, it really backed them off. And they were like, holy crap. Like it just, they said it was, it was, you know, to, to back you on your story, it was pretty insanely aggressive and you had to be pretty, pretty full of fight to get through that, just that part, which is a skill in itself. Right. Yeah, no, it was full on. Like, I mean, I'm joking, but I legit got like held underwater by someone who was just using me to like push off and like dive forward. Um, you know, I've got hit a lot, but that was the first time I was like held under, uh, for any length of time, but yeah, Alistair kinda... Brownlee wasn't in the race. So who no, was it? It was a bunch of polite people of, on, on paper, but yeah, I think having like the two kind of Uber swimmers there, everyone was trying to, to get out with those guys and they really strung out the front of the field and then everyone wanted to be in that chase group. So it was just like kind of total mayhem, but I, I was fortunate enough to make it through the first few hundred yards and then in the back of this group. And also fortunately for me, they gave Ben a green cap and we all were wearing like blue caps or something. And they gave like Cody, you know, a few guys colored caps so they could keep an eye on them with the, the cameras, but it's always good for 
look, I know there's a people that the cameras want to watch. So I know that I knew that they could see me or I, sorry, I knew I could see those guys knew Ben was right in front of me psyched on, on that kind of start for the race. And I just got sucked along with a group of like 15 guys kind of stuck in the middle where I'd move forward. I hit somebody's feet, move an inch left. I get hit in the face, move an inch right. I get hit in the face. It was like that for minutes. So that was fun. Yeah. And I mean, what's um, interesting talking to you yeah, jumped on the bike and then, sorry. Sorry. I think we're just getting a little bit of overlap and some internet issues there on your end, Jesse. Um, but, um, what's, you know, what's interesting to, to talk with you about when we talk about the difference between the pro race and the amateur race. So for most of the people listening today, it's a, you know, they're racing amateur and I think it's really great for them to hear how different the dynamic is. And, and mostly, you know, a lot of people go into an Ironman knowing that, okay, it's a long start to a day and they've got to pace their day and they're trying to like control how much energy output is in the swim and at the beginning and for the professionals it is you know it can be really really aggressive and you're looking at racing at threshold or higher and going through basically the boxing ring just to get through the swim right so completely different dynamic that you have to be prepared for so the reason i'm bringing this up is a lot of amateurs tend to look at what professionals are doing in their training to get prepared for races and having an inside view and understanding of how different the dynamics are, are important when people look at their race strategy or they're planning their training going into these races. So, um, you know, we're lucky to hear these kinds of insights and how much different it is, you know, it's just a different event altogether. Yeah. I would say one thing that I didn't do a ton of in my training that would, I would kind of encourage people to do is those like longer steady swims where you're just kind of spending a lot of time, like whatever it is, like four by a thousand or something like that. We're doing kind of big, long sets. And I feel like I always feel that at the end of the swim where I've got to stay focused because it's like, you've been going for 45 minutes and you're like, Oh, I still have another 500 yards to swim down this canal. And I feel like some of that is, is, is missing in my training, uh, not doing those bigger, longer kind of aerobic swims, but I kind of feel like I, that's just something that had to go because I needed to have such a high threshold to be able to make it there. I was like, okay, I know this swim is going to get long and I'm going to be like struggling a little bit at the end, but I'd rather make sure I can be there and worry about that. And I feel like that definitely played a role. Like I, I was kind of yo-yoing off the back a little bit at the very end, just cause I hadn't, I think done enough bigger swims, but again, that was kind of the price I was willing to pay in order to make sure I was there in the beginning. Yeah. And that's interesting to hear you say, because, you know, bigger swims, I'm sure a lot of your swims were in that four or five K range with, even with the threshold work. So for most people, you know, they're swimming between two and three K and a big swim for them is a four K swim at any point in their training going in. They might maybe only get a handful of those in most people have 45 minutes to an hour before they have to get out and tend to life. And so, you know, you're someone to put it in context, who's swimming probably five days a week, maybe six, right? Usually five. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Swimming five days a week. And most of your swims are even with that threshold work, you know, between three and five K, um, from, from what I know from you, uh, and just watching and knowing what a lot of professionals do. And so just to give people a context of difference, you know, it, the, you might be listening to that and saying, actually the volume is, is there, for the back half and it, but it's the volume at threshold and having the endurance after that amount of probably somewhat of vo2 at the beginning when you're getting dunked <laughs> under and going that hard yes. <laughs> and then sitting at threshold being able to clear it and finish strong so four by one yeah you you know that's going to give you a lot of endurance and a lot of strength but it's really about what kind of strength do you have after that kind of effort which isn't necessarily going to apply to most amateur race racers so so like you know important points to put out there oh yeah for, oh sorry go ahead elliot oh i was i was gonna say that the other thing to remember when you're if you're if you're listening to this and you're an amateur um a lot of times if if you're on that cusp and you're like what's the difference if i'm leading an amateur race versus, you know, racing in the middle of a pro race is just a lot of amateurs are, are really used to the fact that if they get a little fitter, they just swim away from people or they just ride away from people. And as Jesse carries on to his bike ride, like Jesse's being in the mix 
is the hard part. Uh, and if you're in the mix, you're there. Whereas in the amateur field, if you're in the mix, you're just in front of everybody and you're on your own pace and nobody's forcing anything on you. Nobody's dunking you. Um, and there's, there's nobody like doing surges that you kind of have to stay with. Uh, and whereas Jesse's saying he was quite literally in a group of 16, um, as he gets to his bike, if you watch the race at one point, they panned from fifth place to 20th place. And it took a minute and a half from first to last. And everyone was evenly spaced out. And Jesse was in that group. And that's that swim group you're talking about. Like you guys were all together on the swim, you get out and they're showing me when I was watching it, it was 45 miles into the bike. So you're like three hours into this race with the same group of 15 guys. And you're at the whim and you're at the disposal of like, if somebody surges or slows down, you have to surge or slow down, whether you're not, you're in your groove. Um, and that totally changes the dynamic of the race and makes it, a, and it actually makes it harder to go faster. Um, but that's the best people that's what they're, they're dealing with. And I think a lot of people think, oh, if I'll do the pro race, I'll be so much easier. And you're like, ah, wait till you live through it and then tell me what you think. Um, so anyways, Jesse, take it from there and tell me what I'm wrong about. Uh, well, I guess going into T1, I was, I swim with a swim skin, swim skin, my sleeves down. I was trying to put my sleeves up and I like was having trouble getting my arm in. So this volunteer was there like ready to help. And I was like, yeah, grab my shoulders to try and get him to pull my suit up over my shoulders. And he thought I meant the opposite. So he like corn husked me out of my entire kit almost. So, so I'm like, well, I kind of need that on now I'm naked in transition and the field is running away. So <laughs> So yeah, literally it's like taking my entire suit off. Um, so I had to get my suit back on, which cost me, maybe it's only 15 seconds, but now I'm at beyond the back of the group. Everyone's running out of transition. So I'm trying to sprint back up and, and grab the group. Cause you know, you don't want 15 guys to work together and get away, but I was able to get through transition and then kind of in a mile of catch back up and get on the back of the group which is kind of right where I want to be. It makes me nervous when I'm kind of in the middle. So I'd like to be closer to the back. I found out later, a couple of guys kind of jumped on behind me or were with me the whole time. I don't really know, but I'd like to be as out of the mix as I can and still being in like close to it because it is super stressful. Like Elliot was saying, you get there and there was a moto, there was two motos with my group the entire time, one towards the front, one towards the back, trying their best to keep us even. And for the most part, most of the guys, it seemed like we're, you know, trying to ride fair. It's, there's always a few guys who kind of push that line. And on this course, it's, it's pretty tough. Cause like you do hit these overpasses and they are pretty big overpasses and there's like that accordion effect. So there was definitely some people kind of scrunching in and then trying to like yo-yo back out, which granted is illegal, but you know, the other opposite choice is to try and go around and pass everyone and trying to pass 16 guys when we're riding steady is, is going to like, it's going to kill someone. So I, I find that like pretty stressful, a pretty stressful way to ride, which is kind of why this is not my favorite course think, to ride on. And I think people don't realize that like, even if Cam Worf was in the race and he's at the back of that group, the amount of power you need to go from 16 to first, it's a minute and a half gap and you get 15 seconds per person technically. So you have four minutes to do that, but four minutes to put a minute and a half into a group of guys who are already riding at 27 miles an hour is like, like even freaking Primos Roglic would have trouble doing that. You know, it's just like, it's not a easy thing to do. And, and you see a lot of people get caught in that scenario. So I think you had a pretty wise, it was cool to see you racing. Cause I was like, Holy smokes, he's like doing exactly what you want. And you're seeing the time splits. Um, it looked like on TV that you were usually sitting like either last or second last. And it looked like basically people would open up a gap. And once they finally were blown, you'd slot around them. Is that what happened? Yeah. There was a few guys blowing up, which honestly was like kind of confusing that early in the race. Not to, like, I know some people were sick and stuff, but when we were riding, we were riding in like a 20 mile an hour headwind to start. And so sitting there at 15th, like my power was pretty low. And so I see these guys blow up and I, and then, yeah, I'd have to kind of, you have to, you have to wait because you want to make sure the gap is like way big before you can slot in, because if it's too small, then you get a sliding in penalty. So you kind of have to wait, watch them. And then when you decide it's like enough room and kind of go around them and, um, and, and what yeah. a big difference being in that group, you know, talk a little bit about that, even though it's a, it's a legal group, 
you know, at that speed. So not only tactically and dynamics, but, you know, you made a really good point there saying, you know, the power was a lot less. So it's like, why would you move through the group? Number one, where you get up there to put out how much more power and really what's going to happen once you're up there, are you going to make the group any faster? Are you burning more matches? But talk a little bit about that dynamic being there versus deciding some people might say, well, is it worth it to just sit up and do my own race? That's a question I get pretty often, right? Is it, is it worth it to burn those matches to be there? Like you hustling through transition and going really hard at the start to be on the group versus, Oh, I'm just going to sit up and, and ride my own, ride my own race. Like, um, you know, someone might be wondering what are the benefits of that? Why would you do that? You know? Uh, so I wasn't looking at power a ton during the race, but I want to say I was probably riding like around 220 when I was sitting 15th. And if I was going to like hold Ironman power to be closer to like 250. And I guarantee you the people at the front, we were going faster than if I was just riding 250 by myself. So I'm, I'm going like 30 watts less going faster. And, but the hard thing is, is that, that, you know, like when those gaps open up or when we hit a bridge and we kind of accordion, like there are moments when I'm hitting my brakes to like, make sure I'm not getting close enough to the person in front of me. And so the, you know, you're at zero Watts hitting the brakes for a second. And then the next minute you're at like 400 Watts trying to keep that gap, like the appropriate, uh, the appropriate distance. And so that yo-yo of like zero to 400, 400 may not sound like a big number, but to me, it's pretty big. It's, pretty, it's a lot of Watts. And when you're doing that for like three, four hours of just like, on the gas, off the gas, settling in like a little bit under power, but then still having to like make these micro adjustments that gets, um, that gets really like really tricky. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of mental focus, but like you I guess your question was like, is it worth it? And like I said, we're saving Watts the whole time. So you just have to be ready for those kind of surges. And then the, the speed difference is, um, is really where, where it makes such a big difference. Like Again, this was like 20 mile an hour headwind one way, 20 mile an hour tailwind the other. So just getting those guys to, to block the headwind for me, basically. And I mean, I'm still getting some of it because we're sitting legal, but they are kind of breaking up the air. So it's, it's definitely making it easier. And yeah, you definitely overall, like yeah, my power was a little bit lower in this race than it would be in other races, I think, because I spent so much time kind of sitting legal with the group. That's really, yeah, it's, you know, good for people to hear. And the other part of that, that is so different from the, from the pro race to a race where you're steady on your own and in a controlled environment, um, and, and dictating your own steady effort is the fueling aspect, right? I mean, it's, you're literally for, let's say a little over four hours. Um, the, the energy output is completely different and how your body absorbs that energy to set yourself up for the run is going to be completely different than if you're just sitting at your steady Ironman Watts, dictating your own pace, your, it, you know, your gut is different. Um, like everything, everything is completely different from a fueling aspect. And we know that, so the race doesn't end on the bike. So you're there off the, off the bike and how does the fueling go for that type of different dynamic to be able to run well, you know, that's, so not only from how your legs are going to feel running after those kinds of surges all day long, but also, you know, what, it ha what happens to your actual um, ability to absorb calories, your work absorb calories, again, very high stress, very high stress environment in quite a bit less time. So you also have less time to actually get the fuel that you need. And that's really, really high stress on your gut, which is people don't maybe take that into account. Um, yeah. Were you teeing me up for what went wrong in the race? Is that, a, that no, <laughs> not at all. Okay. I, just, I just, I know that that's like, it's especially big in, in the heat, right? I mean, you see it a lot in Hawaii people's, you know, guys vomiting off the side of their bikes and stuff just because of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, that is a good lead in because I spent the first three hours only drinking what I had on my bike because the aid stations were a little bit tricky to hit. And with the group, I missed them on the headwind section and we were going so fast on the tailwind stretch. I was like, I literally can't stop or else I will never, ever get back on. So it took me until three hours in before I was able to get any extra fluid, which means I was drinking. I've two kind of normal concentrate bottles and then one super concentrate bottle. And I was basically through all that. So I had a lot of fuel 
and not a lot of liquid. So I grabbed basically three bottles of water and proceeded to like chug them and like from mile sit or hour 315 to like 345 in order to try and catch up on hydration. And I didn't do a good job considering the fact that I was in Texas and that it was really hot and humid. And I really, I think that me doing that and trying to play catch up was the biggest detriment in my race right there. And I probably would have been fine if I just had grabbed bottles earlier and was able to space that out a little bit more and kind of even it out with the fueling. But I think basically what I did is took on a bunch of fuel, sweat a ton, sweat out a lot of that electrolyte, and then tried to wash it all down with water and just kind of washed everything out of my body. Yeah. But in your defense, right. I mean, it's like, uh, you have to make that decision. That's the difference between the pro race. Like, do I slow down and grab a bottle and that might've saved your race? Maybe it would have, or if you lost the group, would have that made the race a lot harder? And, you know, so it's, it's really a decision. I think probably somewhere in the middle would be in a race that is flat and fast and weight isn't really a factor on your bike, set your bike up to have what you need on it so that you're not having to grab bottles maybe is like an in-between answer. So, um, you know, you're not going to be ever in a position where you're having to grab special needs. You're having to grab bottles in the first, you know, two hours of the ride where it's really, really fast. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if that's, you know, somewhere to look in the middle. Cause like you say, in a headwind, you let that group go that can change the whole day, but right. you don't get your fuel. You don't get your nutrition you don't get the hydration that changes your whole day. So, yeah. you know, where's the spot in the middle? Yeah. Or maybe if I just been like, um, taking some electrolytes with that water, had some salt tabs or like, I actually did have, um, F2C makes it a little like salt stick that is full, like a little tube full of salt I had. And I just didn't grab it out of there. Cause I just felt thirsty. I didn't, usually I can feel like if I'm feel like behind on salts and it's just like, I just kind of misread my body and thought water was good. And I found out later I was wrong, but that's, yeah, I just felt like I was just super thirsty. It didn't. So, you know, sometimes you crave salts and I just wasn't there at all. So I thought it'd be good with the water. Um, got to the run, felt really good. I, I was in a good spot. I kind of knew our group had split up at some point and I was kind of okay with where I was at because my plan was not to overcook the bike and to kind of lean into my run a little bit. So yeah, when I realized that our group had got broken in half and Ben and a few other guys had kind of ridden away. I was like, well, maybe that's good because those guys are stronger than me on the bike. And I want to be a little more conservative. Got off the bike, started to run and did one lap of the three lap course. I was running with Matt Russell. We were chatting. Everything was like hunky dory. Felt really in control. Took a gel around like mile eight and a half. And by mile 8.6, I was like, I need to find a porta potty right now. And from then on out, it was revenge. <laughs> I mean, something like that. Um, I, I was feeling bonky. So I kept trying to put sugar in and like, basically every time sugar touched my mouth, uh, the literal bottom fell out and I had no time to find a porta potty. It's not all cases that I make it to a porta potty. So I spent the entire run, uh, not able to get any fuel in and with a lot of porta potty stops, which isn't a fast way to run a marathon. If you're considering <laughs> that as an option, I don't recommend it. And such a painful way to run a marathon. Oh gosh. I feel so bad for you. That's horrible, but it makes for a good laugh afterwards. A, a good story down the road. <laughs> not quite there yet, but yeah, <laughs> it's still too soon, too soon, too, too soon. soon, too soon. <laughs> uh, so, that's so my story. yeah, that, so major takeaways. I mean, obviously, um, big accelerations. I think we didn't talk, uh, we didn't touch on it just too much, but those big accelerations can also affect um, nutrient absorption. And obviously, you're used to warm weather, but you're not used to humid weather. Um, does that play an effect in it? We have no idea. Did you actually get food poisoning? It didn't show up like possible. Um, you know, like that water's not the cleanest <laughs> uh, and, and that's a real thing that does happen to people. You know, it's happened in, in plenty of races. Um, so in a lot of ways you kind of don't know what happened, but I think the, the one thing was like, did you have a modium, you know, would that have helped? Um, 
And that's one thing that I think pops in. And obviously, like, we're not giving medical advice, but um, I've had more than a few um, Ironman athletes pop multiple emodiums in the, in the ride. And, and that's helped quite a bit or sorry in the race. Um, and not, and that's not a great idea for everybody, but for some people that might help. Um, but anyways, yeah, something to, something to ponder. And then, um, are we good to turn this discussion to Ironman St. George, which is coming up and well, we're talking on Monday morning, the race is Saturday real quick. Um, yeah, I think the one thing we talked about is, and Marilyn talked about a few solutions for it. Things might've gone in there, but I'd say really looking at your race conditions and really hammering out a nutrition plan that makes sense for those race conditions, knowing where you're coming from and what, like how that race is probably going to play out and having kind of like a plan a, maybe having a plan B and that one of your top priorities because like, that's not what I did. And it didn't matter where I got off the bike in the end. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's Ironman's such a tricky sport, right? It's, and especially in these really, um, dynamic races where there's a lot of tactics, it's, you know, it, it's so long and fueling is such a huge part of it that can make or break your day. So it's figuring out, you know, what kind of nutrition can you ab- actually absorb at those, efforts. And even though there was extended periods of time where the effort was lower, there was, like you said, extended multiple times throughout the day. And you count how many of them throughout your entire, you know, your entire file that you were way up in, in anaerobic work rate. And how much did, how much did that just shut your gut down? You know, um, getting, a, getting just a tiny bit dehydrated and then those kinds of efforts, was there just like a gut, a GI shutdown that, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something to figure out and, and keep playing with. And I think that every professional racer is going to have to be really, really ready for it. That's why the fitness is so much different in the pro race. I think the main things to take away here is, is the dynamic of a professional race is so different and the preparation going in and the actual race execution is so different than, um, an amateur race or a, a race that is just sort of a steady race that, that you can't even compare them. And, and, you know, that's the more you can plan, the more experience you get with it, the better. Awesome. St. George. St. George. Oh my gosh. It's coming up soon. Yeah. A few no. days. Super exciting. I'm, I'm really excited to watch a bunch of really fast triathletes bonk in the same place. I had my first bonk <laughs> like, Oh, I blew up on that Hill. Oh, how does it feel? <laughs> um, so I, I'm excited to have obviously a world championships on just different conditions, lake swim. It could be a choppy swim instead of obviously rolling waves. The water's not going to be particularly warm. Um, I know current forecast, I believe has it for somewhat windy. Um, but the way the course is laid out, it's not like you get a tailwind this way, you get a headwind this way. It's more like, oh, you're turning, you're twisting, you're going uphill, you're going downhill. And it's uh, a lot more dynamic. And I think it'll be harder for people to stay in a group as a result of that. Um, and Jesse, you've raced this course. Obviously you and me have ridden, I've ridden every road at least. 10 times, probably more like 20 or 30. Um, so we're pretty darn familiar with the course having, having done so many training camps there over the years. But I, the, the big thing that really stands out to me is everybody always says, Oh, it can be won or lost, you know, on the run on, on these world championship level races. And I think even more so this course is going to, to lend to who's the strongest since the run course is so darn hilly. Um, and the bike ride, people talk about how to being rough, but in a lot of ways, this is just a setup for a really hard, hilly marathon. Um, what, what do you guys think about that? Um, yeah, no, I, I think if we take a step back and just go to the swim, I think that you're right. The swim dynamic is going to be totally different because it is wetsuit. The water is what, like 60, 62 degrees. And it's going to be rough. Like the the forecast is windy already. And yeah, maybe that will change, but it's not going to be calm. If it's already, if it's forecasting for wind, I'd say there's going to be some chop water's going to be pretty rough. And I think that's going to be 
a really different swim dynamic than people are used to like in Kona. So I think for, yeah, the, the pro field and the amateur field, like getting your head around, maybe that swim being a little bit slow, even though you are in a wetsuit because the, yeah, the lake waves are really gonna, gonna take a toll. Yeah. Especially that far, the far furthest point away, you got to go around a little Island. Right. And I think way out there where it's uh, going to be the windiest, I think that is going to be pretty, pretty choppy and tough conditions at that point in the swim and, and with those types of conditions. So one of the things that I've done with my athletes that are racing is, um, you know, done a lot. I haven't really focused so much on speed for them. I've mostly focused on just being really, really fit in the water in terms of endurance goes. Uh, one of my athletes, I had them do a two hour open water swim, uh, just last week, just go out there and swim open water for two hours in your wetsuit. But that kind of strength endurance, I think for this swim course is going to be really important. Not so much about being fast and, but being able to handle the conditions and not die out there on the far, <laughs> far end of the course is going to be really important. Again, that might be different for the professional race, but for the fast amateurs that I've been coaching into it, I have six athletes racing. I've focused a lot on their swim, their swim, just being very strong and very, very fit as far as endurance goes. Do you, do you, that, I mean, I've done the same thing. One of, one of my athletes, I, they didn't even get a single workout with any speed. Like they got strides a couple of times, but it was just like, get your miles in, make sure some of them are hilly. Um, because nobody's going fast on that course. Like if you, if you don't have 25 hours a week to train, I don't know how you're going to do anything besides just like continue moving with pretty good pace. Um, and it's just such an endurance challenge. Um, and, and so I'm looking at the forecast right now. And it says high of 88, low of uh, 54, 20 to 30 mile an hour winds. And if you guys remember the last time this race happened was 2012, Jesse, were you in that race? Oh yeah. Yeah. So Ben, speaking of Ben again, Ben won that race and uh, obviously I was coaching him. Jesse, him and I had done training camps, um, in St. George. And, um, I always was defeated by ear infections as an aside, um, and, but it was super windy a lot in that race in particular. Um, I hope Ben doesn't mind me saying this, but one, he won the race and two, he was like legit tired and like defeated by life for like two months, like not two weeks, two months. It was like, it was that energy sapping and he won the race and he was blown to a standstill on his bike. This is the person who won the race and had the fastest bike split. And I believe Marilyn, were, were you coaching Mikey at that time? Do you remember? I think so. I, I yeah. So Marilyn was coaching the guy who got second. So we are heavy hitters on this podcast here. Um, <laughs> a long time ago, there's a lot of water under the bridge since then. I don't remember. <laughs> one Mikey now works for one of my athletes. So it's a small world. Um, keeping tabs. He's a good dad. And, um, but, uh, the point is that if it's this windy, which we all knew it could be, there's been a couple big races here and it hasn't been windy, but we've all known if you've spent enough time in St. George, there's a real chance it's going to be insane. And what does that mean? It just means that there's that much pressure on you. You have to keep your bike upright. You have to be able to eat and drink comfortably when it's legit, like crying windy. Like I know for a fact I've been on multiple bike rides in St. George where I'm just straight up crying because you're like, how am I supposed to keep going? Cause I have to take my hands off the bar and I somehow have to get 350 calories in an hour while I keep riding forward. And then there's periods where you're going, um, like quite literally one time I rode 60 miles in two hours without even hardly trying in the same area. It wasn't exactly on the course, but it was within 50 miles of there. And it, it's that kind of thing where you're like, toggling back and forth between these extremes in the middle of an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 hour race. And that's a lot to handle mentally. Um, and it's a real, real lot to handle physically. And it doesn't have a lot to do with how, how fast your 5k is. Yeah. And the other thing is, is when it is predicting that kind of wins, if it, it does end up being that way, people need to really have a plan for exactly what we we're talking about with nutrition. I mean, how hard is it to reach down and grab your nutrition when, 
you know, you're getting blown all over the place. And if this, you know, the run is going to be long and it's going to be hard and it has the potential to be very hot. If you're not able to get your hands off the handlebars and get the nutrition and fueling that you need on this course, because of the wind, that's going to become problematic. So, you know, you want to make sure that whatever equipment you use your front wheel, uh, is going to play a big factor on how you're going to be able to handle the winds there and set yourself up for success to be able to get your nutrition as you need it and your hydration setting up for that long, hard marathon. And, and just simply, you're going to move faster through the wind with a wheel setup that you can handle versus something that you're getting blown all over the place and feeling really unstable. So as people are packing up and they're getting ready to head to the race, if they're looking at the conditions, take options, you know, it could end up being not not that windy of a day. And if you, you've got two front wheels with you and two options, then that's great. Back wheel is not going to be affected that much. Uh, you know, a lot of, hopefully there's enough climbing here that you're not going to see a whole lot of discs. There's probably not a lot of point in having a, a disc on this course, but, um, in my opinion, but having a, a couple options on front wheel choices can make or break your day. I think on this, on this type of course. Stability is at a premium safe, like being safe, right? Yeah. Always faster that I would ride, but I would regret it partway through that ride. I'm sure. You, we didn't hear the first part of that. You were frozen. We just heard the, the oh, tail end. What'd sorry, you say? I, I said the disc is always faster. That's what I would ride, but I might seriously regret it at some points. <laughs> right, right. Do you remember if you rode a disc ten years ago? I did. Yeah, and I regretted it tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a fast learner. <laughs> disc ten. Yeah, you've you've you still uh, finished. Yeah, no, I wrote a disc. Did you finish top ten? I just remember you were like totally broken, right? I mean, I finished top ten only because I wasn't even going to run. But when I got to T two, so many guys had dropped out that there was less than ten people on the run course already. So I was like, "F it, I might as well go run." It's yeah, Guys we didn't hear that, but so, seeing as I was there, Stan, I, I I don't remember if I was there that year, but maybe Amy was. I might have been texting your wife, but um, I think we were well aware of the fact that it was just like, if you can finish this race in under 11 hours, you're going to get paid. <laughs> it was just like... Well, and that's the other thing to be prepared for nutrition-wise, right? I mean, you're going to be out there a lot longer possibly than what you're what you're used to. And so everybody needs to plan for that, right? I mean, if we're looking at that the, you know, the bike's going to possibly take a little longer, the swim's going to take a little bit longer, you know, those kinds of things. If you're, if you had been preparing, let's say for what might normally be a five, five and a half hour ride or something like that. If you're a pretty decent amateur on that type of course, it, it could potentially take you six hours and you're not used to being out there that long and planning your nutrition for that length of time. So, so have those kinds of conversations with yourself and be prepared for both. Might as well be over-prepared and have that stuff with you. And if you go faster, great, then get out there and go, Oh shit. You know, I don't have what I need. Agreed. I think that also just means that like how you approach the swim early in the day and how you approach the early part of the bike. A lot of people are like, Oh, I want to be up there. And sure. If you're in the pro race, maybe that's the case, but like for basically anybody listening to this podcast, if the forecast holds you're in, nobody's PRing, right. And being within an hour of your PR might actually be a really, really good day. Um, and I think a lot of times people are like, yeah, 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 whatever I'm fit. It doesn't matter, but 25 mile an hour, consistent rant winds blowing in every which direction is really, really challenging. And there's no two ways about it. And then you're going into this run where it's going to be exposed. It's going to be high eighties and it's just really hilly. Um, and it'll be windy there too. And so that's one of those things where people dry out real fast, you know? And when it's hot and windy and you sometimes don't realize just how hot you are and how dry you are. And that's another thing that gets people, um, into trouble in a race like this is it is warm. Um, and, and you're not necessarily noticing your sweat as much as a race like Hawaii, even though the temperature might be the exact same. So I realized that with the humidity, the feels like, et cetera, it would be hotter in Hawaii, but people might not be trying to hydrate quite as seriously. Yeah, no, I think that unless you want to say that 
eight guys that think they can win this race, then your plan is, it should be the same. Like whether you're a top age grouper or like kind of a middle of the pack pro trying to have your best day and maybe crack that top 10. And it's, it's really going to be a day for patience. Like, as we said, there's a lot of obstacles here. It's going to be a longer day than usual. And you're going to really, really do a good job. If, if you're patient the entire day and like holding back, like there's a lot of places where you can go too hard headwind. You can go too hard climbing. You can go too hard. You know, all these places you can also, again, like miss your fueling. So really being patient and sticking with a pacing strategy that's appropriate for you. And then having a little bit of energy at the end is, is going to serve you really well on a bike course as challenging as this, where it's important to be mentally engaged the entire time. And, and then even the run course, like Elliot said, it's, it's hilly and it's, it's also super twisty and it's going to be narrow too. And I think that the narrow twistiness of this course could make it a real challenge for people on their second lap when you're passing people and there's people coming at you. And so I, I really think it's going to be a very, a very high cognitive load kind of day where not only do you need to like finish the thing in really hard conditions where it's going to be slow, but you also are going to need to be mentally engaged for like nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 hours from like riding hard gripping your bike fairly hard, trying to stay fueled and hydrated. Then you're going to get on this run and it's not going to be a straightforward jog out and back. Like I said, you're going to, have to be really focused to keep the pace high or as high as you want it to be while you're kind of navigating everything you're going to navigate on the run course. So yeah, it's going to be a high cognitive load day. Yeah. And that, you know, for a lot of people, that's good for them to know for the, a lot of people who do a majority of their training for time reasons or safety reasons, whatever on the trainer. And so not that there's anything to change about that right now. If you're listening to this, don't go out and cram a bunch of riding in out on, on the road or something like that, but just be aware that if you've done a lot of your preparation on the trainer or on Zwift or Rovi, that's taking you through the course a bunch of times, uh, I have a couple athletes like that and I've articulated over and over again that they are going to also have to be, even though they've been exposed to what the course might look like on these programs, being exposed to the harsh conditions is going to play a factor. And so just being aware of that is going to help set you up for success because then you're, you know, you're going to be ready for it mentally. You're just going to know that there might be a little bit more discomfort than what you're used to. You know, the fueling situation is going to be a little bit different, all of those things. So, so just having that awareness of the conditions being pretty, pretty tough is, is going to play a, you know, a big factor in how people execute their race. If you're, you know, you are starting to think about that race plan and what you're going to put together for a race plan. And I think the other thing is a lot of times people use the significant downhills as a place to refuel and relax and they have like planned um can you hear me jesse yeah okay they have planned efforts right i'm gonna kind of like push it to the top of this hill and then i've got a three mile descent right and so like mentally they're like oh i get to switch off but if you have a 30 mile an hour crosswind and you got too big of a front wheel like marilyn was talking about earlier right you're not getting any fuel in. you're just trying to make it to the bottom and you're just trying to make it to the bottom of the hill. Right. And you can't even eat or drink. And a lot of times people are like, Oh, I'll do that at the down or on the downhill. And then they can't. And then yeah, the you next might be thing, a, better off to regulate your effort on the uphill and eat and drink there. Yeah. But it's like, th th this is one of those days where it's like the whole day is about regulating your effort. If the wind gets as high as it is, if it's, if it's 10 miles an hour, a lot of these tips are still important but they're a little bit less so because you can get away with a lot more, but this is the course that it's like, it's always like this course is pretty fast for a half Ironman with five mile an hour winds and 70 degrees. And it's death. If it's 85 and 30 mile an hour winds in an Ironman, it's not the same course twice, you know, and it's just totally different. So I'm, I really am curious, especially since a lot of the, you know, the higher end folks, but even amateurs too, you know, like I coached a guy who like won the amateur race, right? Like, he wouldn't be ready for this race in a, in an Ironman because it's just, it's not the same course twice. It's just not when it's that windy. Um, so I'm really excited looking at the forecast just to see like who can, who can piece this together. Cause I think it really is a true test of 
of endurance and skill and, and patience above all. But like Jesse was saying, like that high mental level. Um, yeah, and so I don't be, know about be patient out there. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but definitely the the preparation for this rate for the race for the athletes I have for a lot of them, the focus really has been, you know, we've done some really big over distance riding, uh, some big, you know, big, long swims. And, and I think that is just an important, it's an important part of preparation for any Ironman, but for this course in particular, I focused on that primarily, you know, not as many, you know, a faster type Ironman on a, on a course that's going to be, you know, fast, I might have them do a lot more four hour rides with a lot more intensity in it. Whereas this type of course, I, as far as the bike went, I did a lot of, you know, interjected some really, really big epic riding to just have them ready and didn't focus quite as much on the, on the intensity on those big rides. And, and like I said, on the swim as well. So just having that huge base of endurance and and volume for this course, I thought was really important. And, and then just the execution, you know, that we're talking about. So in terms of preparation, that's just a little bit different than say, Hey, you're headed to Arizona or Cozumel or something like that, where you might not need even really that many five hour rides. You just need a lot of four hour rides with a lot of intensity in them, a completely different preparation than this course where I had people doing, you know, some of my amateurs did some 120 mile rides, you know, six hour days, eight hour days out on the bike, just to, just to be ready for this. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I did for the ride as well was try to incorporate even more climbing than usual and try and incorporate climbing at different times in the ride, especially for like my Tucson athletes. We have some, some climbs that we do, you know, early on in rides or something where it's like, Oh, it's easy to go up lemming when you're fairly fresh. But what about when you try and go up like four hours in, it's kind of a different game. And I think, you know, for this course, a lot of the, the climbs are late. So yeah, I think those over distance rides or, you know, making sure you can be strong later in the ride is going to be really important for people to uh, make it up snow Canyon when they're at mile, whatever it is, 95. Yeah. Good stuff. I don't know. We were talking a little bit before I got on, we all got on here is I'm actually headed out there to watch the race live, which will be a lot of fun. I'm heading out there be there on Thursday and right through till Sunday. So, um, Elliot and Jesse, you mentioned you're not able to make it out, which, you know, you don't always get to get, get to these courses and these races, which is okay. And, you know, we're always sad when we're not there, but you know, life, life happens. So that's okay too. And I'll be able to report back to you what actually, what is actually happening out there. And, um, you can, I can hopefully relay a good message afterwards on what happens on the actual race course. Yeah. I'm excited to hear it. Um, but yeah, we're Eric is getting ready for the first WTCS in Yokohama, which is the week after St. George. Um, so she's flying out that weekend, which is why I can't go. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a, a very exciting couple of weeks with the, you know, super tough. I, I'm just, I can't, as a fan, I'm really hoping that it's super windy um, for St. George. And I apologize to everyone listening to this, who's doing the race. Um, but uh, I guess it's like going to a UFC fight. Somebody's about to get punched in the nose. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyways, and then of course, like for me personally, obviously uh, with Erica getting ready for the first WTCS in, in Yokohama, that's a totally different course. People are going to be guns a blazing from two strokes into the swim um, flat and fast run course. So two opposite ends of the, the spectrum, and it should be an exciting time for a fan. And if you're racing those races, um, best of luck to all of you. I did a couple interviews with two of our favorite Americans, um, Ben Hoffman and Chris Leifemer, uh, with the try rating. If you want read any of his stuff. I did a couple in-depth interviews with them. So you can also get an inside perspective of what they're thinking going into this race, a little bit of what their preparation has been. If you had a chance to take a look at that, hopefully I did a good job representing for them and, and getting their message out there. So it'll be exciting to be there on the course and watch them race it. They're both uh, personal friends of mine. I've known Chris since the very start of his career. So it's ex always enjoy watching him race and seeing what he can do out there. And you know, Ben's a, a hometown, here, hometown hero here in Tucson, and we all love to see him race. So that will be exciting as well. Um, 
And then, yeah, having six athletes of my own out there on the race course. And just a, the other thing that's really cool about the world championships is you get to, it brings together people from all over the world and all over the country. And we get to catch up and see one another. And we don't always get that opportunity, right? We have all these friends from all over the place and we see each other. So we keep in touch, but so infrequently. So it's also really fun to get to catch up with everyone that's in our industry and that are good, close friends for a number of years. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. Did, uh, did those two have any, any good nuggets that would be good takeaways for the entire field? Or is that more just about their personal racing? It was, you know, what is really interesting about their two interviews and the, the thing that I noticed the most is their preparations for this race were almost polar opposites <laughs> and how they approach their preparation. And so I, I do encourage you to go ahead and take a read through them because it was, it was quite interesting to have two athletes who are fairly similar and fairly, you know, I know they have different resumes and different strengths and weaknesses, but their actual approach to their mentality on training and racing and their approach to training and racing was almost completely opposite to one another. And so that was pretty cool to get, you know, sit down and have the exact same conversation with two people and have them be completely different from one another. So I know I didn't give you a lot there, but I go ahead and go ahead and read them. And then you I was going to say, well, yeah. so where, <laughs> tell everyone specifically where to find the article. If you didn't get emailed to you. Yeah. If you go to, is it tryrating.com and you yeah. can down, you can download the PDF there and Torsten put together a really nice, uh, it's, 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 it's long. Like it's like a hundred, it's like six, yeah, 166 pages, but in those 600 or in those pages, you can find those two interviews that I did. Obviously he has a lot of great things to say about the race and some interesting data and that stuff. But if you're just looking for the interviews, they're in that, in those pages. So you can click through them and, and let me know what you think. Awesome. Well, thank you. Well, yeah, good luck to everybody racing this weekend. Make sure you fuel better than I did and yeah, enjoy being on the race course. It's always a fun experience. Yeah. Keep it upright and have fun. Cool. Thanks guys. I'll report thank back you. afterwards. Cheers.